Hi, I'm George Norrie, and welcome to the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone. This is an exciting new network that will feature podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained. Now sit back, please, and enjoy Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. by the Wizard of Weird. This is Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. I am Joshua P. Warren, and each week on this show, I'll be bringing you brand new, mind-blowing content, news, exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home, and a lot more. And on this edition of the show... Bizarre Occult Experiences. You know, there's a difference between the word occult and cult, right? Occult simply means hidden, secret, beyond view. When people talk about a cult, they are talking about usually a group of individuals that have some kind of agenda. Now, we're talking about the occult the hidden, the mysterious, and in fact, soon on the show, you will hear me having a conversation with the chief occult researcher for my haunted Asheville ghost tours in Asheville, North Carolina, investigator Tad McDivitt. And boy, are we going to get into some weird stories. Let me tell you about some of the strange things connected to my Asheville Mystery Museum that I created and operated for over 10 years. Uh, We had to close it down in early 2020 because it was located in the basement of the Asheville Masonic Temple, a glorious but very old building that was having constant problems with flooding. And it was damaging a lot of stuff in the basement, and so it's undergoing uh, renovations, and we had to clear everything out of there. And uh, at some point, my collection will indeed be displayed somewhere else. In fact, I have a really interesting update for you on this show about something that I recently had shipped to my house that is so valuable to me i i've never actually put it on public display it's possibly the most haunted item that i have but my asheville mystery museum was originally in a small jail building right there in downtown asheville below a hill and uh, it was part of a property that is now a restaurant called pax tavern and i want to share this story with you because all the years that I've been doing paranormal investigation, I have heard some pretty weird stuff. And usually when some kind of a ghostly encounter happens, um, it doesn't all tie together as neatly as a traditional campfire story. But it sure does in this case. You see, this old jail building, which was right outside where the old gallows were, where people were being hanged, it was uh, frequently frequently the topic of ghostly experiences in town. I myself got snowed in there one night. I was sleeping by myself, 
And I was awakened about two o'clock in the morning when some very strong hands pulled my covering off of my body. In that particular case, my covering was a big old wool trench coat. Uh, I could go on and on telling you stories about the place, but here's my favorite one. Listen to this, okay? I swear to you, what I'm about to tell you is true. Hand on a stack of Bibles. So one of the ladies who worked with me there was named Cat. And Kat was certainly a paranormalist. She was always into strange things, but she was not the type of person who would report something paranormal unless it really happened, okay? Her imagination wasn't that out of control. And she was there working by herself at the museum one cold January day. As a matter of fact, it was January 23rd of 2011. And she called me around 6 p.m. I was at home that day, and Kat was freaking out. She said that uh, there was nobody else in the entire building. There was no sign of anybody even around the building. She was walking through some of the rooms, and at one point she turned a corner and she ran smack dab into a big, tall, dark, solid form of a man. I mean, instantly, you know, it was, she was uh, shocked because she thought, I guess somebody must have quietly slipped in here and I didn't notice it. And then as soon as she realized this big, dark figure of a man was there in front of her, it just disappeared in the blink of an eye. It rattled her so much that she immediately was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm out of here. And so she closed up the museum and told me, I don't know what. I experienced, but it had to be some kind of a ghost. There's no evidence anybody came into the building. So I said, okay, well, that's pretty extreme, you know, as a report from Kat. Well, get a load of this. About three hours later, I received a phone call from Vance Pollock. And Vance is a man I've known for a long, long time. He is, I believe, the very best forensic historian in the world. And at some point, I'm sure I'll have Vance on this show, and goodness knows the stories we'll dig into. But Vance is always out there looking up old documents and archives, and he has this incredible synchronistic knack for coming across interesting information. So Vance had been researching the history of the property, and he knew absolutely nothing about Kat's experience. And yet, he called me on the phone to say, Josh... Guess what? I just found out something that I think is going to amaze you. He said, I just learned that a former Buncombe County sheriff, because Asheville is located in Buncombe County, a former Buncombe County, not a sheriff's deputy, a very well-known sheriff named John Lyerly, who is a prominent figure in Asheville in the early 1900s. And also had a very bad reputation, by the way, for being an extremely violent man. He said John Lyerly, Sheriff Lyerly, committed suicide in our old jail museum building. He was apparently, according to a news article that Vance sent me, he was distraught over the death of his wife from a recent illness. And so Sheriff Lyerly went into our building and he took his service revolver and put a bullet in his head. 
And shortly thereafter, he was discovered by some other officers. And John Lyerly had killed himself on, are you ready for it? That exact same day, January 23rd of 1924, exactly 87 years before that day. None of us knew anything about that. And yet, that evening, around 5 or 6 p.m., Cat had walked into what was obviously, in retrospect, the anniversary ghost of Sheriff John Lyerly. Now, can you imagine being in my position? So I'm sort of the center of all this activity where I get this call from Cat telling me I just had this experience. And I'm like, okay, I guess there's a ghost. And then three hours later, Vance, the historian, calls me knowing nothing about this and tells me, oh, this is the anniversary of when this prominent figure killed himself in the building. Do you think that is a coincidence? I mean, honestly, does that seem like a coincidence to you? Well, it certainly does not to me. I feel quite confident that this is one of those events that should prove that ghostly phenomena is real and that there is something to these cycles, to anniversaries. There is meaning behind all of this. And that's one of my favorite stories because, again, it all comes together so neatly that it's just like uh, it's like something that was made up in a work of fiction. But it's true. It's true. And you know what? We said we're going to be ready next year on the anniversary to see if we can capture his spirit. The following year, on January 23rd of 2012, we were there in the building. We had our equipment set up. We were ready to go. And we did have some strange electromagnetic fluctuations. We got some odd, misty pictures here and there. But we didn't get a full-bodied apparition. But I I feel sure that he might have been just around the corner. You know, there were a number of rooms there. And uh, that is, that's an example of why you can sort of, if you have enough data, look for patterns and correlations that might lead you to have a better understanding of when something ghostly is going to materialize. So... Tad McDivitt, uh, D-I-V-I-T-T, the chief occult researcher for Haunted Asheville, is a guy I've known for, oh, at least 15 years. Uh, he has devoted his entire life to all things mysterious. Ghosts, magic, UFOs, cryptids, arcane rituals, you name it, okay? He's published books. He's been on numerous TV and radio programs. He has personally met and given weird tours to hundreds of people, actually make that thousands of people uh, from around the world. And I always go down a weird and wonderful rabbit hole when we start talking about the unexplained. So I'm, I, I called up Tad the other day to get an update on how things are going with him. And we started talking about some of the weird things that he has experienced throughout his life. And I felt, you know what, this is a good time to share some of this with those of you who listen to this podcast. Because, I mean, uh, not only are we going to talk about sort of how he got into this and what occult research really is, but also he had a very bizarre experience with a creature 
a creature, something, a kind of creature I bet you've never heard of before, in a stream in the mountains of western North Carolina. Wait till you hear him tell you all about it when we come back. After this break, it's going to be good. If you love amazing pictures, videos, and breaking content, be sure to sign up for my free e-newsletter at joshuapwarren.com. It takes two seconds, and you'll instantly receive a free digital good luck charm and instructions on how to cheaply make aura glasses at home that might allow you to see the other side. And on my website, take a look at the Curiosity Shop to find rare, amazing things you will not find anywhere else in the world. There is no period after the P in JoshuaPWarren.com. I am Joshua P. Warren, and you're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash strange things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash strange things. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. 
comedian, writer and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey folks, we need your music. Hey, it's producer Tom at Coast to Coast AM and every first Sunday of the month, we play music from emerging artists just like you. If you're a musician or a singer and have recorded music you'd like to submit, it's very easy. Just go to coasttocoastam.com, click the Emerging Artist banner in the carousel, follow the instructions, and we just might play your music on the air. Go now to coasttocoastam.com to send us your recording. That's coasttocoastam.com. Did you know that tests that could save your life from cancer are now available for little or no cost thanks to the health care law called the Affordable Care Act? Let this be the year you get screening tests that can help detect cancer early when it's most treatable. Don't let concerns get in your way. Talk to a doctor or other medical professional to learn more about the best cancer testing options for you. This is George Norrie, and you're listening to the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, heard on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome back to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, the Wizard of Weird, beaming into your wormhole brain from my studio in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, where every day is golden and every night is silver. And yes, I just recently talked to investigator Tad McDivitt, the chief occult researcher for my haunted Asheville ghost tours in Asheville, North Carolina that have been around for, gosh, over 25 years now at this point, I guess. That's amazing. And uh, you're going to be, I'm sure, quite intrigued with some of his bizarre experiences. And so, you know, I started simply enough by just saying, Ted, tell everybody what got you interested in the occult and the paranormal. And here's what he said. The easiest one to explain is the academic side. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was studying Latin, I was also in eighth grade, huge fantasy head, you know, Lord of the Rings kid, playing a lot of D&D, you know, just gobbling up uh, like Clash of the Titans and those classic fantasy 80s stuff. 
And it was in Latin class that it just kind of dawned on me like this huge bomb that all of the stuff, all of the myths, all of the legends from all of the fantasy stereotypes and tropes, they all come from somebody's serious religion at some point in human history. We like to liberally use the term fairy tale mm-hmm. to describe that which cannot exist. But on the other time, on the end of it, there's entire swaths of even modern European culture that believes these spirit entities actually do exist. <laughs> you know, it's it all comes down to this weird language barrier. Yeah. Um and that's the real that's the real challenge of it is the fact that when you're dealing with this this kind of thing, every culture believes in spirit when you go far back enough, in one form or another, you know. um, But all the different cultures and languages have different words for them. So the big question here is, are they talking about the same things using different terms, or are these technically different kind of spirits? Okay, you told me a story one time that is really eerie and bizarre about you witnessing a serpent-like creature. And I don't know if if we can put this in the realm of uh, cryptozoology or if this is some kind of an elemental spiritual thing that you saw. So let's just hear that story and let's dissect it and figure out what the heck happened here. Okay, um, because now that we're like on record, I can... I'm going to voice some of my personal opinions because I tell this story a lot, but I don't often totally embellish what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, this happened very shortly after I moved to Asheville. Uh, we're talking 1988. Um, I was 14 years old. Um, lived in... Firstly, a little bit of background. Um, I just moved to Asheville from Culpeper, Virginia. Uh, and to kind of add to it, you know, a, a move is stressful enough, and being 14 and going through puberty is rough enough, but also my parents divorced right while I'm going through this transition, too. Mm-hmm. So we get to Asheville, and it's just me, my dad, and my brother. Um, my mom has moved on. And so I'm, like, in an emotional, terrible state, best way to put it. And um, my father, when you move to Asheville, you know, what do the locals do? And one of the things that the locals do in Asheville is you go up on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, So he would take us uh, to check out the Blue Ridge Parkway, and he would take us to a place um, called Graveyard Fields, Mm -hmm. which would end up being a significant place for me where mm, a number of weird paranormal events have happened. and it's this beautiful camping area that has an upper and lower falls and water coming through it. And we're there with uh, my little brother, who is seven, and I'm 14, and my dad. We kind of clamber down to the lower falls, and my brother is playing close to the water, and my father, obviously, is paying a little bit more attention to the seven-year-old close to the water than he is the 14-year-old. So I take the opportunity to get away from my family, because that's where my headspace is. And I start following the water going southward. Well, I walk for, I don't know, what seems to me maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. 
and I get to a point in the water where it opens wide, probably about 10 feet wide, and deep. And that's what I can describe if anyone's ever been hiking on fresh mountain water streams. There's a point where you can't tell how deep it is because it's all shadow. Yeah. So I sit down with my back against a tree, and I'm just bitching and griping and honestly crying a little bit because I'm just a hot mess and I don't know what's going on. And while I'm sitting there, this, what at first I thought were branches moving, and this head pops out of the water looking at me. Uh-huh. And it is a, oh, it's so hard to explain because I don't have any physical references on the radio, but I will do my best to describe the dimensions. A serpent head that's about four feet long, three feet wide, and that's just the side of of the head. But also, there are what kind of looks like wood antlery branches on its head. <laughs> just pops out of the water and stares at me. And I freeze and I panic. Mm-hmm. And I just stare. And after a few seconds, it went back down in the water. And I jackrabbit out of there. Yeah. Freaked out. Can't say how many people have these kinds of paranormal experiences, but after something like that, you attempt to reconcile what you experienced. So I started doing research, you know, firstly on some new to Asheville. I don't know anything about the area. And, you know, you start with local herpetology. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> they, this, they should have a sign if there's a big, huge, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you look like. Yeah. And the only thing I would find is a reference to a Cherokee mythological figure that is a horned serpent. And the Cherokee have stories about it appearing in that area on um, the the creature is called the Uktena, spelled U-K-E-T-N-A. Um, now, that is the flat out, as, a, as if I were talking to a cop, what I experienced part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now let me give you the over-the-years experiences. First off, uh, that thing has shown up in more than a fair share number of my dreams. Over the years, mm-hmm. according to the Cherokee lore, it is a a water elemental spirit that's kind of a, an animistic embodiment of secrets and mysteries. In fact, there's an old Cherokee term that, as I was describing, the when you can't see the bottom of a stream, the Cherokee phrase is, that's where the Akena goes. And that I can't see it is the symbolism for the enshroudment of the secret and the mystery. You know, here's an interesting thing for us to to dig into because it seems like that someone who is, say, a hunter his whole life, who just goes out and he's shooting deer and rabbits and squirrels and turkeys, if he sees a Bigfoot then that Bigfoot seems so solid 
and real to him that he can't imagine it being anything that he would call a spirit or an interdimensional thing because he imagines that to mean that it's some kind of you know translucent ephemeral wispy thing on the other hand you have people who are into uh the spirit world and they believe that every time they see some weird creature they can't explain it's some kind of spirit you know they'll look at a at a firefly and say it's a fairy or whatever and so right. you and i are able to look at it from both points of view because the reality is it seems to me that there may be beings out there which can slip back and forth between yeah. the physical and non-physical and so when you see one of these creatures it is absolutely physical and solid to you but then all of a sudden it's gone anymore and so it's it's like that you know these beings can slip back and forth and 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 there are you know the european traditions i believe are a little more open-minded about that than than how we view it here in america how would you describe that relationship between the physicality of beings and and how we describe them in our lore there is a and kind of i'm gonna flip-flop and first uh you know use a little bit of old religion language, but also use modern science language because I think they're both kind of been spiraling around the same idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. That in the old spirit, Victorian spiritualism especially, um, they really believed that there was this veil mm-hmm. or like a curtain, a barrier that separates the physical and, and, and spiritual. And I think possibly what we're talking about is something that can punch through that veil, but not on a permanent basis, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And the best way to kind of explain the cause and effect of it is that I think that it can punch through that veil for whatever motivation, and I think it actually requires a, a considerable amount of expenditure of energy and effort for that spirit to do that. But once they get here, their time here is kind of limited because the nature of here doesn't permit such mystical things. So the veil's going to wrap around them and pull them back. <laughs> yeah. In rather short order. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And Tad has some surprising info on tarot cards when I come right back. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. 
Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, the Coast to Coast AM YouTube channel is waiting for you now. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. Every eight minutes, the American Red Cross brings help and hope to people in need. Thanks to the support of everyday heroes like you, the Red Cross is able to respond to disasters big and small, support military families, help ensure that blood is available when needed, and teach life-saving skills like CPR and first aid. Be a hero. Donate today. Visit redcross.org or call 1-800-RED-CROSS. Hi, this is George Norrie, and you're listening to the new iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Now let's get back to Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. Welcome back to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. It's the show where the unusual becomes usual. I'm your host, the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren. And now here is more of my recent conversation with the chief occult researcher for Haunted Asheville, investigator Tad McDivitt. You know, um, of all the things that you have researched, uh, one that um, you seem to dig quite deeply in 
was the meaning behind the tarot deck. And, um, you know, what's funny is that most people are familiar with the tarot, but they don't really know the history of what these symbols mean. What can you tell somebody about the tarot deck that would sort of open their eyes? First off, there's a lot of misinformation about where it came from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Especially in American circles. Uh, there's stories that they're come from the Romani, which are not true. Mm-hmm. Um, stories that they come from Satanism and witchcraft. And there was a handful of popes that claimed that, but anthropologically, that's not true. Um, first off, anyone who's familiar with the tarot knows that there's the major and the minor arcana. And the major arcana came about centuries before the minor arcana did. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing worth noting. And what I think their original intention and what culture actually created them, they are ancient Judaism. Mm -hmm. And they were used as flashcards for education. The cards of the major arcana correlate to the letters of the Hebrew language. So, so what, and, what, what is the difference between major arcana and minor arcana? Oh, the the major arcana are kind of almost like a archetype symbolism. Okay. They are, uh, the best way I could put it, the characters of the story. Uh-huh. If a tarot spread is a story. The minor arcana are the plot details of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the easiest way to distinguish them. Okay, so the major ones were flashcards, so to speak, to teach Originally, Hebrew? Originally, I think they were. Okay. I think they were used to um, teach the letters, literacy, and early Hebrew mathematics. Hmm. Is, I think, what their original intention were. And what makes These you think that? Um, can jump down this rabbit hole of Kabbalistic correlation. Okay. And really dig to ancient Judaism mysticism. There are 24 major arcana. There are 24 letters of the Hebrew language. It was all prototype of education. When you're looking at that chart of the Tree of Life, that's actually map and letters for ancient, ancient Judaism. One through ten was their map set, hence the circles of the Sephirah, and then the 24 interconnectors were the 24 letters of their language, and hence knowledge. Letters, numbers, knowledge. And the cards were a reflection and because they realize, you know, repetition and symbolic pictures made these things click in their heads better. And so originally, I think these cards were, were flashcards for learning math, or at least the original era, uh, Jewish prototype of it, which is one through ten. Zero doesn't really exist as an abstract idea yet, um, but also the letters of their language is all taught through these flashcards. And so the minor arcana 
number themselves from one through ten for the same reason. You have this deck, and in it are all these symbolic correlations to the letters of their language and the numbers that they use. And hence, you had what was in a pocket deck of cards, an ancient tribal textbook. <laughs> and, and so if someone sits down and gets a good, valid tarot card reading... Um, do you do you think that it actually can tell something about the future? And if so, how does that process work? Uh, according to the lore, Solomon, King Solomon of Israel is the one who started doing divination with them. Mm-hmm. And the and, and here is the the theory, Gatetti, <laughs> that if all of reality. It's math and letters. Then this deck is also math and letters. And we're just going to assume in this creepy quantum entanglement principle that what's going on in the bigger picture will just synchronistically line up with what we randomly throw out. Right. And that's the theory. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Solomon was solid enough with his connection to the lore and wisdom. And that's how using them as divination kind of came into existence. Um, and what's kind of interesting is even in scripture where they're saying, hey, you shouldn't do divination. It actually is our, <laughs> states that only a master of the temple should do divination. <laughs> And I think there's this, hey, man, you should be qualified, not a never, ever, ever do it. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Uh, When it comes to understanding magical principles in general, what do you think the relationship is between magic and speaking words? Oh, they're so incredibly connected. Mm -hmm. To a degree to where I think a lot of people unknowingly and unconsciously sabotage their own fate and love with what comes out of their mouth unfiltered. <laughs> yeah. It's so connected. <laughs> and uh, well, how do you feel that process works? What is it about speaking a word that somehow is able to bring a physical manifestation into being? The way I look at it, again, goes back to that Kabbalistic uh, uh, Solomon of Israel is one of my heroes mm-hmm. in the ancient mystical world. And a very neat way of looking at it that almost correlates in a very fascinating way with modern physics. It's a fascinating way of looking at it. When you look at their language, all of the vowels of their language look like fire licks. Mm-hmm. And all the consonants of their language look like branches and sticks. And their language pictorially is supposed to look like licks of fire on uh, branches, which I'm pretty sure is a burning bush wreck. Yeah. Um, but, oh, it's fascinating. They believed that when you speak, you're literally creating, uh, just as the creator himself does. And just as the universe has hard matter and then energy to move it along, so our language has hard consonants and the vowels move it along. 
and they are correlated, speaking with the act of divine creation. I mean, you're literally creating words. Your words create worlds in other people's minds, and they, they it was very sacred. You know, um, I think that's why a lot of their more formal prayers were in complete silence because they wanted the divine alone to be the audience to the creation that they are voicing. You know, I remember when you told me uh, that the ancient Hebrew language looks like licks of flame on branches, which must go back to the burning bush. And it's so important because that is when supposedly God reveals his name, uh, which we loosely interpret as, you know, I am what I am, or I am that I am, and and I know it gets a little more complicated than that, but still, uh, the name of God, speaking the name of God, is to this day considered a very sacred thing uh, among many, many people from the Judeo-Christian traditions, and so it's almost like that that encounter with God in the burning bush is the is the 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 foundation for language in general and how the language is itself uh ultimately a magical thing that goes back to god's language being the vibration that created reality as we know it would you say that oh well i mean just look at the world we live in numbers letters Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, just look at our world. <laughs> Every bit of our literature, our science, our culture, landing on the moon, splitting the atom, it all comes from that ancient letters, numbers. So those are the parts of my recent conversation with investigator Tad McDivitt that I wanted to share with you on the show. Thank you, Tad, for being on the program. And of course, You can get a personal tour from Ted if you go to hauntedashville.com. If you are in the Asheville, North Carolina area, Asheville is spelled A-S-H-E-V-I-L-L-E. You know, Ted does a special tour in addition to the usual tours, a special one every Friday night at 8 p.m. It's called the Supernatural Tour. It's a more in-depth tour that gets into things that are mm, beyond what the average tourist might look into. So if you're a diehard, check into that. When we come back from this break, oh, wait till you hear about what I got in the mail today. (laughs) I've been excited about sharing this with you, and you will see why. The energy in my house has changed a bit today, and uh, it's it's a celebratory feeling, but some people may be freaked out. And I have an interesting testimonial to read for you as well. Um, this is it's there's just not enough time in this show, but hey, at least uh, you're never bored, right? So, I am Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, and I will be right back after these messages. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Internet is an extraordinary resource that links our children to a world of information, experiences, and ideas. It also can expose them to risk. Teach your children the basic safety rules of the virtual world. Our children are everything. Do everything for them. The four. The Art Bell Vault has classic audio waiting for you now. Go to coasttocoastam.com for details. You're listening to Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren on the new iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't forget, you can listen to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows.
welcome back to the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and guess what I got in the mail today? Now, you know, I'm a guy who has been professionally investigating the strangest stuff in the world most of my life, and I've been accused of being a little borderline hoarder. I mean, not just every Tom, Dick, and Harry has a museum, and I have plenty of stuff from all around the world in storage. At some point, I'll just do a podcast, and I'll just tell you about all the stuff I have. Isn't that just a cool idea for a podcast where I I make a list of all the weird, like, most amazing stuff I have, and I just tell you the story behind all of it. That might even take up two or three podcasts. But I have one thing that I really, really cherish um, that it's, it's one of those things I've never put on public display. And of course, you know, in my home right now, I have Carville the alien. That's Art Bell's wooden alien statue that apparently comes to life sometimes at night. That is something that I don't ever plan on parting with. Okay. That's uh, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever put him permanently in a public place of display he he just brings such a great feeling to my home but listen to this i have something i've never put on public display and i will dig into this much more deeply at some point in the future but let me just tell you for now that in the 1970s dr raymond moody wrote a best-selling book called life after life in which he coined the phrase near-death experience. And he pretty much, you know, created, if not certainly uh, popularized the, the term tunnel of light. I mean, a lot of this language that we use now as part of the pop culture lexicon is attributed to Dr. Raymond Moody and the work that he did. And he's just a wonderful guy, one of the smartest people I've ever met. He has two PhDs. I'm very proud to consider him a friend at this point in my life. And I think around 2008, I hired Dr. Raymond Moody to come to Black Mountain, North Carolina, and host a workshop on his psychomantium technique. Now, this is a mirror technique that he wrote about in his popular book called Reunions, based upon his in-depth research regarding some of the ancient Greek techniques of using reflective surfaces in order to have some kind of a contact experience with deceased loved ones. And, and, And again, at some point in the future, I'll go into all the details on the technique, but He sort of modernized this technique so that you take a mirror and you put it in a very particular type of setting and under the right circumstances, people can sit in a dimly lit room by themselves, stare at the mirror, and then they will, in many cases, actually have a spiritual experience. Sometimes the deceased loved one actually appears and literally emerges from the mirror and is standing there and they have a fully interactive experience. Okay, just as if the person is back alive, physical and corporeal again. I'm telling you, it's that mind boggling. 
And so when he first started sort of telling people what he had rediscovered regarding this technique, he he was traveling around the world and he brought a mirror with him on many of his travels. And this is a mirror that he purchased at a little antique store in Anniston, Alabama. That's where he's from, Alabama. And he just loved the look of it. It's a, it's a very old, ornate mirror. And he and his wife, Cheryl, actually painted the frame of it black. And so this mirror has been with him all around the world. Thousands of people have looked into it and had interactions with spirits. And he brought that mirror with him to the workshop that I hired him to give in in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And I'm telling you, the people who attended that workshop was a who's who of professional paranormal investigators and celebrities. Rosemary Ellen Guiley was there. She was a wonderful lady, a good friend who has now passed. And she was especially interested in scrying and mirror techniques. And so uh, it's very significant to me that she looked into this mirror during that weekend. It was like a, it was a three-day uh, workshop that I set up at a resort called the Madison Inn. And uh, she had an experience with the mirror. Uh, Mark Nesbitt did. Uh, gosh, uh, Ray Buckland was there. He did. I mean, like I'm telling you. So the funny thing is, when this event um, was over, Dr. Moody and his wife were heading back home. They, they had driven into town. But, um, but Dr. Moody realized there were some people who had made plans to stay an extra day at the resort and wanted to continue experimenting. And so he said, well, you know, Josh, it's okay for you to keep the, the setup, the room we have set up with this mirror, and you can just ship it back to me when the weekend is over. So he went back home. I went and got the mirror to ship back to him, but I thought, hmm. And I contacted him and said, what are the chances you would consider selling this mirror to me? And at first he didn't want to do it, but then his wife, Cheryl, said, you know, we're actually renovating everything and upgrading everything. So look, long story short, he sold this mirror to me. Okay, it belongs in the Smithsonian, but he sold it to me. And Lauren and I, we picked it up, we put it in the trunk of our car, we left the Madison Inn. We stopped at a pizza place called My Father's Pizza in Black Mountain, North Carolina. We stepped out of the car to go have lunch, and we took two or three steps, and in the trunk of the car, we heard boom, 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 pounding in the trunk, like somebody was locked in the trunk trying to get out. And I went over and opened the trunk, and there was nothing in the trunk except the mirror. Yeah. True story. Well, that mirror was hung on the wall in our house at the time in North Carolina, and that's when all kinds of spooky things started happening. We would hear people talking in the living room at night when nobody was around. The alarm system started going off and nobody was around, that kind of stuff. And I love this mirror so much, and it's so fragile and so haunted and so meaningful because of its connection with Dr. Moody and his groundbreaking work that I uh, I never put it in my museum. I was just too worried it might get broken somehow in the museum. So I gave it to my mom and dad for safekeeping when I started traveling the world so much and, and moved to Puerto Rico for years to study the Bermuda Triangle. And all that time, my mom has been kind of freaked out by it. 
And so my mom decided to just cover it up and put it away. And <laughs> well, anyway, I finally told my mom, please ship it to me here in, in Las Vegas. And so we got it shipped out here. And today I picked up this big box and opened it and it arrived beautifully. Thanks to professional packing by FedEx. And now I have Dr. Moody's mirror hanging on my wall and I will be telling you very soon what happens now at my house now that I have this. But I know people are like, Josh, I thought you weren't going to bring haunted stuff into your house. That is true. But this is such a precious thing. We'll see how long that lasts. So I'll keep you updated. All right. <laughs> Before this show is over, listen, I, I have a, a testimonial I want to read to you about the good fortune tone that I played on some of the past few shows. You know what I'm talking about? I have this tone, which is the good fortune tone. It's based on the golden ratio. When you hear it, it's 20 seconds. It's supposed to bring something good uh, into your life the following week. Let me read to you this email I got from Laura in Michigan. She said, just wanted to give you a short testimonial regarding this sound. She said, I listened to it last night prior to going to bed. Mistake. I did my own experiment. I just happened to have a glass of water with me, and I don't know if this means anything, but this particular glass is not actually glass. It's a unique hammered metallic beverage container that is copper plated on the outside. She says, anyway, back to the testimonial, I placed the cup on my laptop so the sound could reach and penetrate it. I then drank it right after. Soon after, I felt so perked up, felt like I had drank 20 cups of coffee. I couldn't sleep. I still feel that way now. So it would be interesting to know others' reactions to the sound. I will try it again, but not so late at night and without the copper-plated glass. She says, I'm 71. I've seen, read, studied, gone to many conferences and webinars on all levels of the spiritual nature. She says, I appreciate your dedication, curiosity, creativity, and how today's science is catching up to what the mystics already knew. Keep up the good work. Love what you're doing and sharing blessings. That's from Laura and Michigan. Thank you, Laura. So here you go, folks. Maybe you can try out what she suggested. Here is the good luck tone for 20 seconds. Let me know if you put a cup or a glass near that. And uh, if so, what happened to you? I'm going to try it out and I'll be keeping you updated on new reports regarding this tone. That's it for this edition of the show. Follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus, visit joshuapwarren.com to sign up for my free e-newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the Curiosity Shop all at joshuapwarren.com. I have a fun one lined up for you next time, I promise. 
So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show and to always remember the golden rule. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. You've been listening to Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. For shows like this and others, please make sure to tune into the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone.